It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Booth. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with my partner in feminism, Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by Tarana Burke. She's the founder of the Me Too movement. Of course, this is a woman who does not need an introduction. She's a best-selling author, author of the new memoir, which I'm so excited about, Unbound, My Story of Liberation and the Birth of the Me Too Movement. Tarana, thank you so much for joining us today. It's just an honor to get to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited I'm- to talk, talk to you. Um, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this book um, yes. because I think I, I I was reading through it, and it was hard. But I I pushed. I pushed myself um, because I know that reading stories that can be triggering, reading stories that I can see myself in, and and you know that I know I'm feeling something. Something is happening to my body. Like as I'm I'm reading it, um, it's also part of the process. Because there's something that you say um, that survival requires practice. Um, yeah. And I, so now I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm doing. I'm, it's, I'm practicing every day, sort of like surviving this. So I just want to say thank you for doing this. Um, um, I know it couldn't have been easy to, to put all of this in, in you know, all of that into um, a memoir. And I, I guess my first question is, even before we get to the Me Too movement specifically, I just want to, ask you what the process was like of trying to put all of this into a book, putting it all into a memoir. I mean, I think memoir, a lot of people write memoirs, but some of not, not like this one. Um, yeah, it was hard. And I, I don't know that I knew this book was going to come out when I sat down to write it. (laughs) I think that, um, I think I kind of went into it, a little arrogantly, like, you know, arrogant is probably too strong a word, but, but just you, you, you know, you, you know, your story. You, I sat down like a, a friend of mine, um, who's a writer who I, I went to and I often seek counsel from said, oh, just, you know, you should write down everything you can remember about your life. Just even if that feels significant, even a, a little bit. And I did this like incredible laundry list of things. And um, and I went and I, and I went back and I went to old blogs and old writings and I gathered all of this stuff. But in my mind, I thought, I know my story. And I created this outline. And when I started matching the outline I created to this list that I wrote, all of this other stuff had come up. Um, and then this was this next layer of when I actually started writing the story, like putting words and filling in the blanks. There were things in, in places I hadn't gone in a long time. And I realized to actually authentically tell the story, I had to do more excavation. And I've done some real, like I've done a lot of therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done a yeah, lot of yeah. group therapy, single therapy, counseling, and you know, all kind of stuff. I've done a lot of work in the last 20 to 25 years. And, and you know, there's just always more, more to do. And so I had to do some real excavation. And I realized for my own self-protection, there were places I just didn't go. Mm-hmm. Stories I didn't tell. I didn't even tell to myself. Um, 
they came up. They just came up naturally. And I said, well, this, this is it. This is clearly the story that needs to be told, right? And this is the time. So it was, it was rough, though. Was it at all cathartic being able to focus on yourself as like, not just on yourself, but also on how your experiences can educate other people and help them move forward and past some of the traumatic things that are happening to them? Like, is there, is there a catharsis in being able to release this story as it is out into the world now? It was the catharsis to be quite honest was for me when I was writing it. When I was when I finished probably the first draft and I read it all the way through and I, I I had a more of a realization of what it could do for other people. But in the writing process, it was it was hard to think about what it could do for other people. In fact, it was really scary to think about what it, what other people would think about it um, in the writing process because I just all I could think is I don't know how I, I thought more about the people who I was talking about in the book and you know a lot of those almost everybody. Um, Almost a lot of people said alive and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and will read it and have read it. And so I thought a lot about that. And I had my support. The people who were supporting me were very much encouraging me to just keep writing. Just keep writing. Don't edit yourself. Don't, you know. But it was really cathartic. I mean, the minute I literally the minute I finished and I knew I was finished, I had such a cry and a, and, a, and a release around that that like I've not really ever had. And it was it was a good cry though. It was like, yeah. ooh, yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. This is now, you know. Yeah, that was something. I mean, I feel like there's like a weight. I mean, I, I was trying to describe it at the beginning of the pandemic, like, you know, when, when all of us were like trying to process what was happening when everything shut down. And mm-hmm. I remember on the show, just saying something like um, immediately because, because of trauma, I knew what that pressure in my chest was like, I knew what that, it feels like sort of like somebody's pushing down here um, mm-hmm. and it gets tight and you're like trying to breathe and you're like, okay, deep breath, deep breath, deep breath. You're like <laughs> trying to center, get, get yourself back together. Um, and I was like, Oh, I know what that is. I know what to do. I'll work out. I'll run. I'll meditate. You're like, I, I was like, I'll kick into my, like my practices. Toolbox. Um, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll do my things. Um, and I think about that. I thought about that a lot as I read through the book, because so much of this um, is about confronting like the stories that you're almost too scared to remember, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. or, or that moment. I mean, there's a, even in, in the beginning, um, when you talk about, um, you know, the idea of what, what quote unquote ugly and pretty are, right. And mm-hmm. sort of the male gaze, right. I rem I remember the first time I felt the male gaze and I didn't know what it was like, um, like a little boy in a pool, like started yelling at me and I didn't know why. And I, I like, I can still kind of feel that on my body, mm-hmm. on my skin. And mm-hmm. so I was, I, I'm really curious as to why you wanted to start there. Cause I think it's, it's so critical and foundational to understand for people to, for people to understand that part of sexual trauma and, and processing that is understanding how you were objectified before it happened to you and the ways in which you sort of have to still deal with that gaze after the trauma um, that can be triggering at times too. Because some of this is about how we are, how we walk through the world, right? As black women, black girls, 
we walk through the world with more than just the trauma of the violence that was enacted upon us. There is another violence that is enacted upon us about how we are perceived, right? And and what I did as a child is I conflated the way the world perceived me, the way the messages, the messages that I got from inside and outside of my community about what I looked like was equated to what I was worth. And so what I did is I conflated that to be why these things happened to me. Right. I was like, this must be. And, and these were and it was such there was so much what I felt because it was a child. And the only language I had, the only way I had to, to, to explain that was this incredible unkindness. And I was I was raised like most children are raised to, to believe that you are supposed to be kind to people. You're supposed to treat people well and be nice and be polite and be kind. And that's not that's not what I received. And. It feels like death by a thousand cuts, right? You are, you are, you are, I don't know that the world understands how we are getting it from all different kinds of ways, right? And so if you don't look a certain way, if your body doesn't develop a certain way, if you don't behave a certain way, if you don't achieve a certain way, right? then you become less worthy and less worthy and less worthy and less worthy. And I really wanted to find a way to articulate what I felt like. I wanted to, I wanted people to go into the book, understanding what I felt like as a child, what I was carrying as a child and I, and how that I carried that into adulthood because that pain and that trauma was just as heavy as the trauma of being raped, the trauma of being abused. And the trauma of being raped and abused was compounded with that. And I have to carry that in my body and I have to carry this body out into the world. And I have to and I have to show up in the world and I still have to smile and I have to get good grades and I have to run real fast and I have to do all the things that the world tells me makes me worthy. And, you know, I, I can't just be Tarana who is Tarana. I have to be Tarana who's a track star, Tarana who's a straight A student, Tarana who's on the honor roll, Tarana. In order for you to find me worthy of anything, that's the messages that I get, right? And so, and what do I do with this face? This is the face that God gave me. What do I do with this body? This is the body that God gave me. You know, I, I don't have any alternatives. And so the 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 ridicule or the the uh, the gaze, all of those things that are enacted upon me, I can't control that. Right. I just have to live through it. Right. The abuse you decide this person decided you picked me out of whoever and decided to enact this abuse upon me. I can't do anything about that. This is what I'm up against. And then I have to take all of that and fight white supremacy. I have to take mm-hmm. all of that and fight patriarchy, right? And so I just wanted to paint a really clear picture of what this life is like. Not to say, and and, and I do all of that and I show up and I smile. I do mm-hmm. all of that and I show up and I find a way to find joy in my life. I find a way to crack jokes. I find a way to do my hair. I find a way to, to be fashionable. I find a way to be, you know what I mean? Like, this is who Black women are. This mm-hmm. is the fullness of who we are. 
and we are this is why we are magical this is where the magic yes. is this yes. is where the miracle is and but it's also where the humanity is and 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 at that crossroads is where this is where the fullness of our humanity exists and people don't often examine it they either examine all the trauma they want to dig into all the trauma and the violence whatever or they want to celebrate all the magic and the and the mystery and i need you to look at all of it <laughs> right i need, yeah. I, need I want people to look at all of it I want you to stop saying, Tarana Burke, we love you, blah, blah, blah. And look, and I want you to hear me say, people think I'm ugly. People heard that Tarana Burke started the Me Too movement and said things to me like, who would rape you? That's what they said to me. They didn't say, oh my God, we celebrate you. That wasn't that, that some people said that and other people said, who would rape somebody like you? That's the reality of being a black woman in this country. Those are the mm -hmm. kinds of, those are also the kind of things that we face. And so I didn't want to leave that out of the story because that's also my story. Um, and we don't talk about it because if pretty is a privilege, somebody has to be underprivileged and we don't talk about it. And we should, you know, it's also a part of the black woman's story. So I just, it's just, it's it's again i you know we we talked back and forth my editor and i about taking that chapter out mm -hmm. we had a lot of conversation about um just you know should we include it should we not how much does it fit you know blah 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 at the end we decided that it was just such a strong chapter and and not even just taking out should we start the book with it mm -hmm. you know um and that that's an that's actually an old blog that chapter was a blog that I wrote a long time ago um, that I just wanted to put into the world before. And I was scared. I was scared to write that because I was scared to have that conversation years ago. And, you know, it was the, just the very beginning of it. The rest of it is I wrote recently, but I was like, this is this time that we have this conversation. Well, I think it's, it's, it's we all have that moment in different ways, right? Like, cause people are constantly judging us for all kinds of things as we're growing mm -hmm. up and, and it, it sticks onto us like so deeply and we don't even realize it. I love when you say in the book, like that expression sticks and stones don't break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Like I hated, I hated that expression too. I was like, and you're like, you're like, that's a lie. And I'm like, yes, Toronto, yes, because that was a lie. <laughs> I knew it was a lie the whole time, you know, same way I know that, you know, Jonah didn't live in the whale. It's a metaphor, but you know, it's like there are certain things when I was a kid, I was like, this, that's not right. Um, but that, that's, so true, that's one right. of them. And, and one of the things that I think you talk about, which I think let's, let's dive into sort of the me too movement, because I don't know that I've told this story, maybe to, only to Jess, I don't know if I've ever said it on air, but like, so in 20, 2016, that Academy Awards, when Lady Gaga did the thing, with survivors and, mm -hmm. you know, because of her song um, for the hunting ground, that, that was a really crazy experience because like in the rehearsals, people were crying and we were like, we didn't, we couldn't even see it until it actually aired. So like, we didn't know why they were crying, but then like, obviously you got it. Um, and I think a lot about that day because after that whole experience, which was like, you know, insane, which I'm sure that you can relate to that because you have had incredible experiences mm -hmm. since 2017. But 
I was supposed to go to um, do some networking at the Harvey Weinstein Oscar party. It's <laughs> true story. Um, so I like leave this moving performance where I'm surrounded by love and survivors. And then I'm actually late. I'm like really late and I don't make it. I miss it. I don't, the party's over. It's shut down. I miss it. And I always thought about that as like God. <laughs> I know Jess doesn't, uh, <laughs> you know, believe in God. But in so many ways, I think about that because that would have just ruined the whole thing. But um, that story obviously made the hashtag Me Too, um, you know, a global phenomenon because of the white privileged Hollywood starlets who were, um, you know, talking about them, their stories. But when you when you in the book talk about what that experience was like for you to have created a movement 10 years earlier, um, and then to have, you know, actresses on, in Hollywood sort of being like, this is a movement. We're, you know, we're doing it. We're doing a movement now. Um, and just like that emotional, like feeling like something is like getting taken away almost like as you're standing there. And just like that, you going through like frantically calling your friends and being like, how do I find this on Twitter? Like all of that was so important. People needed to know that that was what was happening in that moment. Can you just talk about that moment up to the present? Like almost claiming back ownership, being like, no, I did this. And then it was, you know, it, it, it obviously has taken iteration since, but you founded this thing. Yeah. And it was, and I think we also tell that, that, that part of what happened so quickly that it, it gets told that the history should be told differently. So mm -hmm. I definitely panicked when I saw Me Too going viral. You know, I I followed the Weinstein articles coming out and and that whole thing, you know, I followed it like everybody else did. I did not feel necessarily connected to it, right? To my work necessarily connected to it, but I was interested in, like I'm always interested in, in stories about sexual violence because it's connected to just, you know, loosely connected to the work that I do. Um, and I remember just a, a thing that people don't recall necessarily is that there was a little bit of a fight on Twitter between black women and white women mm -hmm. in the days before Me Too went viral because white women called for a day without women. You remember this? Mm -hmm. Yep. White yep. women called for a day without women on Twitter in response to, uh, what's her name? Rose McGowan being thrown off of Twitter or shut down or her account being shut down or something like that. And black women were kind of like, uh, black women and other women of color were like, no. <laughs> you know, where were y'all when we were harassed and things like that? And so I was kind of watching that with amusement. I've never been like a, like a big Twitter person, but you know, it trickled over to Facebook, I guess. I was, you know, <laughs> like, this was, like, kind of amusing to me. And then Me Too went viral a couple of days later. And I really had a full-on panic attack because, obviously, I was like, this is going to be the end of my work. This is going to be the end of... Um, nobody's going to think that I have was already doing this work under this name for the same reasons, right? That's just not gonna happen. Not only that, there's no, I would have never started a hashtag. 
right? I'm 44. Like, that's just not, <laughs> I'm beyond <laughs> the age of doing social media movement things. And I'm a movement person. Like, I'm a boots to the, you know, uh, feet to the street movement person. I don't do social media movement work. And so, uh, so I just kind of had a, a, a meltdown around it. And, and it was all being kind of directed and coming from this as a result of this Weinstein thing. And, you know, my friends were like, yo, you've been doing this a long time. Everybody knows you. Why don't you use that? And of course, my friends were my age, but I, they were also a little more savvy. I have, you know, my girlfriend, Yava, is a social media maven, right? Mm-hmm. And she's, she was the one who was like, pull out your receipts. You know, mm-hmm. you have receipts. It's like, well, what are those? You know? <laughs> and 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 I, between my daughter and my girlfriends, I got these little videos together, and I put out tweets and Facebook and and Instagram posts of my videos of you know of me giving speeches about me too, wearing my Me Too shirts and things like that. But really, what what turned it around was seeing the tweets. So many tweets from people saying me too and then finding this one tweet where this woman was like pouring her heart out in her blog about how the day of tweets had affected her and had given her courage to tell her story and given her strength and it really it was the opposite well it wasn't the opposite but it was the the like aha moment for me to be like let me check put my ego in check because you know, I say this in the book, I, I had spent the whole day like, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is my work, right? Like, you, the genie's out of the bottle. You cannot, you can't put your arms around this anymore. You can't, this is, this is, this is your work. And again, I take pride in, and I still continue to say, we center Black women and girls, Black and brown people, marginalized people, but not to the exclusion of anybody. And so what really had happened is not that my work had been co-opted, my work had been expanded. Yeah. And so it had been, what, was, what had happened is that our, my a, a opportunity had been created for me to insert myself into this moment to, to expand the work and explain to people why Me Too was necessary and why it was created. And that's really what happened, right? now. The part that's really interesting, and you had just said it a moment ago, is that white women really didn't say this is a movement and we've created a movement. They really didn't say that. Mm-hmm. They didn't really try to make something happen. They were swept up in what happened as well. They looked up mm-hmm. and all of a sudden this was a thing, right? The part that I wish people would say differently is that Harvey, the Harvey Weinstein case is what brought this to the forefront. The 12 million people who responded to that hashtag in 24 hours is what made it a movement. But people skip over that and say, well, these white women in Hollywood, no, that's not really what happened. They are the reason why we were paying attention. They were the reason mm-hmm. why it was in the news. They was, you know, from October 5th, when the, when the articles started coming out, and really one was September something, and the other one was October 5th, the articles dropped, and this was every night on the news, right? You had another another actress coming forward with a story. It was, you know, one after another after another. It was the, the news issue of the moment. But on October 17th, everyday people tweeted, 
and Facebook and Instagram about this. That's what made it an international movement. And and on the heels of these Hollywood actresses. But we would not be talking about it five years later if 12 million people hadn't responded to it, if this wasn't the most active hashtag in the history of Twitter in that moment. And that's the part that we really have to focus on. That's where I had space to come in at because everyday people said, oh my God, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't responding to the actresses. They were responding to each other. Right. I don't have, I don't have any background in Hollywood. Right? I have no <laughs> background in organizing actresses, organizing people. I know people. I know how to respond to people. I know what people need. I know how to speak to people. And when I spoke up and said, this is what the work I do, this is our background, this is our history, I was speaking to people. And people heard that and responded back to me. And that's what's been happening for the last four years. I've been speaking to the people. Um, and here's the, here's the surprise. Those women in Hollywood, turns out they're people too. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. Turns out they are survivors and they just needed the same exact thing that those little black girls needed in Selma when I started this work. So it's been, I mean, it's been a journey and the media has done what the media does, which is yeah. made it into the, boiled it down to its most base elements, right? I want to know what the, what the most salacious part of this is. I want to know what's going to get people to click on it. I want to, let's keep talking about the most famous people. Let's keep talking. Let's get, you know, at one point, it's really funny because at one point you have, you know, this 44-year-old black woman from the Bronx who's sitting there, who has all the information, who can explain this away and be like, well, let me tell you why this is a movement. And you have like Gwyneth Paltrow and like <laughs> Alyssa Milano. And they, they, they kept trying to make Fetch happen with these white actresses. And the white actresses were kind of like, did you talk to Toronto Burke? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in a lot of ways, they amplified me too. And so they, yeah. they were like, kept put, you know, I went on Democracy Now. That was the first media, like sort of big media thing I did. And that was because of Alicia Garza. They asked Alicia Garza to come on. This is so funny to me. So she's the leader of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> they asked Alicia Garza to come on. Alicia Garza says, I know wow. Toronto, who's the right. founder of Me Too. Why are you asking me to come on? Wow. I'm in this other movement. So Alicia calls me and says, you want to come on Democracy Now? So I go on Democracy Now. This is what's supposed to happen, right? So I go on Democracy Now. They asked uh, uh, Alyssa to come on Good Morning America a couple of days later. Alyssa brings me on Good Morning America. That was the first big national television I did. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have gone on any media had other people not brought me on so and important. said, this is not about me. You should have the person who started this come on and talk about me. Well, you had all of the information that was necessary in that moment. I remember reading that one of your first concerns was that women were going to unearth these stories mm -hmm. a lot of times for the first time themselves. And they were going to put them yeah. out into the public space and they were going to do it in, an, in a way that was not supported, where there yeah. weren't movement guides, where there weren't people to help them process it. And the fact right. that the movement wasn't co-opted, I think, in the way that we all assumed it would be, because this is America and that's how we do 
The fact that it wasn't co-opted that way means that the movement is broader than the media. It teaches us more than we, you continue to educate us. Unbound, my story of liberation and the birth of the Me Too movement, you 100% need it in your life. Uh, Tarana Burke, thank you for everything. Thank you for all of your work. Thank Uh, Thank you for making our lives a little bit better. Um, We really just appreciate the hell out of you and thank you for being here today. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.